Yes. Am I real? Why am I controversial? Increase the self-awareness, bro. I feel like a ring light. Why are you controversial? Yeah, why am I controversial before we jump into this episode? I'm curious. You have very, very specific beliefs about things. And when people do not follow these beliefs or follow these mindsets, you challenge them. <laughs> That's what life is for. I don't have to agree with anybody. They don't have to agree with me. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, the fact that you challenge people is what makes it controversial. <laughs> yeah. I'm in shock right now. Do people not like that? Like, they just want to believe things and not have anyone ever questioned why they believe what they believe. I enjoy a nice discussion, a nice rousing intellectual jousting. Does it enjoy that like we do? I never knew that made me controversial. I just feel like, like I want somebody to challenge my beliefs. Like I want somebody to push me and make me question why I believe what I believe so that I can either like know what I believe in a stronger way or re-examine my beliefs and why I believe what I believe and make adjustments as necessary. So like maybe change my beliefs or like, it's like, but I don't want to just believe something and then like never get pressed on it. That's controversial is used to describe someone or something that causes people to get upset and argue. Controversial is an adjective from the noun controversy, which is prolonged dispute, debate, or state of contention especially one that unfolds in public and invokes um difference of opinions i've grown past that i don't do that to people anymore now i just silently like listen and i'm like hmm, would you like to have this conversation and most of the time people say no or they say yeah and then they walk away i get that truth. i don't would you like that at this conversation you don't what i don't know uh, hey, how did that you either? You'd be like, let me tell you, you're not as cool as you think you are. Why <laughs> you say that I say that? <laughs> Is that how you interpret my love? Yes. Oh, I appreciate it though. I don't I don't hate it. I'm still here. Stop on syndrome or not, I'm still here. Look, all these people that say these things about me, I'm like, you guys voluntarily come to this okay you are accurate so there's something that's keeping you up here and with that let's roll into the episode it's the chicken dip anyways oh oh wow anyways okay okay, i'm done i'm done let's let's start the episode for real now (laughs) i'm gonna poison that chicken dip one day like, Adrian, why aren't you eating chicken dip? Oh, I'm just not doing cheese this week. No, you know I love you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, are you ready to start the episode? I don't know. No, I am. Hi, everyone. It's Adrian. And this is Angelique. And welcome to Bossa Another week, another episode. I don't even know what episode this is. Episode seven? Seven. seven. Yeah. 
How are you? Tired. Okay. I'm glad it's Friday. I just got to push through a few more things and I'm going to take a long nap. How are you? What do you mean nap? Sorry, easily distracted. I'm good. <laughs> I'm yet in the land of the living, as the old people would say. Hmm. You, you kicking but not high. Kicking but not high. I, Monday, I didn't even take Monday off. I worked home for Monday and it still feels like I worked a whole like 60 hour work week. Uh, I bet you did. I probably did. Hmm. I actually clock my hours. You know, I do. I'd be not, I'd be like, girl, I'm bound. Uh, I just know when I'm at my limit. I gotta do my hours because my limit sometimes comes way before we even hit 40. <laughs> and that's a problem. But you know what? It's only been 12 hours this week, and I'll see y'all next week, actually. <laughs> it's Tuesday at 10.59 but I'm actually done for the week <laughs> Monday is fine that's fine that's fine yeah but let's talk about some fears so what fear are you facing this week mm. fear that I'm not keeping my priorities in check mm. I have not been to the gym all week and that's not okay. Um, I think I've cooked dinner once this week. That's not okay. So just um, making sure because it does happen very easily mm -hmm. to those habits. So just making sure that I'm keeping track of what I need to do, even if it's just the little things that are important. Yeah, I feel that. Um, the fear I am facing is, I think a fear of having said yes too much. And like, I don't think that that's like a, like a, so I think a fear of possible unfulfilled promises and, or just not my best, if that makes sense, of doing things, but it not being my best. Um, things because you have a commitment. Yeah. And like, not going into my commitments, I feel like. I said yes to things, but didn't for once, didn't look at my calendar. And so a lot of big things fell all at the same time. And so it's one of those things where it's like, I really should have checked. And so I do this thing where I either swing wildly in one direction or the other. So it's like, <laughs> I said yes to all of these things and now I'm going to do them. But while I'm doing them, don't ask me to do anything else for like the next month and a half. <laughs> so I don't know. That's where I am. Why can't you just say that you're overbooked? No, I'm working on that. That that's what I'm doing. I literally this week was like, no, I won't. I don't even have anything. Because I think for me, I'll say no if I have something else scheduled. And as Miss Kev on stage says, something like, and this is paraphrasing, but she is the event and the occasion. It's like I am my own occasion. I can I can be booked and busy just talking to myself in the corner if I want to be. Mm -hmm. 
and not feel guilty about it. Yeah. Do you think that you'll have time for like the gyms like in the during the weekend? Um, no, I don't have gym for time for the gym in the weekend. Um, because you know I work on Saturday mornings. Mm -hmm. uh, I usually miss that class but I'll be back in the gym on Monday it was only a week it happens yeah um just the frustrating part is like when it's weightlifting a week is significant mm -hmm. how is CrossFit going you know it's going I'm attending <laughs> burpees are still the devil mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah that sounds, that sounds about right where I left them yeah uh, I don't know who created them, uh, but I do not plan on meeting that person in heaven. So, um, yeah. But it's cool. I like it. It's just the, it's literally the mental capacity of getting up in the morning. Yeah. Well, good. Well, I don't know. I appreciate this session because this portion, because it's like a, an additional level of like vulnerability and just like, honesty about like the process but we got a couple other things to be honest about in our taking notes section because some things some things some things have happened this week this week and the last um what am I trying to say some things have happened over the past couple of days that are interesting. One of which I would like to take to Sense Community Church, um, Reverend Pastor Dr. Adrian. Uh, we need your guiding and your word. Are open. The doors of the church are open. Okay. Well, so have you heard about this Sharon Osborne and Cheryl Underwood interview? Mm or a conversation that happened on their on on the show that was the talk yeah the show that's on suspension right now yeah yeah so who who are we talking about in sense community church so, um, we, so i think i don't know who are we bringing so I'll, I'll give a little bit about the uh the situation so sharon osborne and cheryl underwood are friends who sit and are co-hosts on this show, The Talk. And then the, I think it was their, one of their most recent episodes after the Heron and Heron, Harry and Meghan Markle interview, mm -hmm. uh, Sharon Osborne jumped to the defense of her good Judy, Pierce Morgan, mm -hmm. and um, was basically trying to understand when Pierce Morgan had ever been racist, when he had ever said anything mean about Megan in a way that was should actually be taken offensively and was basically defending Pierce the entire interview, even to the point where it, it and this is to my, and like from what I was seeing and I'll, I'll, you can also tell me whether you saw something different is like, at some points it seemed like she was literally berating and battering Cheryl for having a different experience than her as it related to Pierce Morgan's conversation around um Meghan Markle and they went to break and came back and after break you see and we can talk about this as well Sharon is sitting there with a tissue telling Cheryl don't cry don't cry if anyone should be crying right now it's me and I was flabbergasted Cheryl Underwood is sitting there it looked like she was 
fighting back tears, just confuzzled and saying like, hey, like, I thought we were friends. Like I'm talking to you as a friend about something that is impacting my community and like people of color in general across different things and you are not understanding it. So are we bringing Sharon to Sense Community? So are we bringing Cheryl to Sense Community Church for not getting up and walking out, friend or not? I don't know who we're bringing. So I would like to bring Sharon, but the reason that I am going to bring Sharon is because it seems like there's a limited capacity to understand or be receptive to the experience that Black people have and the information that Meghan Markle was sharing in her experience. And I don't think it's... uh, well, I don't know her, so, um, but I think there's a lot of factors in the fact of like, if you think about the way um, people look at Europe, right, or look at England, um, we always think like, oh, they're so progressive and inclusive and all of these things and nothing happens um, negative out of, you know, uh, the palace. Um, And, but we know, of course, we have all of this information, you know, of different accounts of different people's experiences, right? Um, So I think like she naturally wanted to come to defense of somebody uh, of Pierce Morgan, somebody that she's a friend of, um, which, okay, you wanna come to defense of your friend, but also not understanding the significance of their issues. Um, And sometimes all people's emotions get in the way of understanding somebody else's experience. Um, And I think the piece of that that we're really leading out is like, there are, it is a racial thing in the fact of like the experience that Meghan Markle had is very racial motivated and it is showing light that it's not as progressive as people think that are they want to be perceived as right um and this tension that you have seen people um all over the place just kind of saying like um, these different things and having such strong views um, brings light to we're not as far as we think we are. Um, and I think that's difficult for uh, people who are not people of color to really experience the fact that we're not as far as what we are and how your behaviors actually contribute to um, those thoughts still going and those um, racist behaviors still happening in many different levels. Yeah. Accountability is hard when you when it when it when it pushes you to action and, and you do not want to or do not feel I don't know I don't want to say want to but when action is a is a struggle like I feel like I've been doing a lot of like some research and conversation around that and like it feels like that impetus the impetus to act <clears throat> in defensive um, underrepresented minority communities um, not follow through with action I feel like is where you see that white guilt come in is like, or or anger, like it either manifests in anger or guilt where it's like, I feel like I should do something, but I'm not gonna do something. And I either feel like I shouldn't have to do something and like you're holding me accountable for something I don't want. Or I feel like the world is, the sky is falling and I don't know what to do. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. There's so much that you could dig into, but I don't like to generalize. But I think there's so many dynamics that you saw play out in that conversation that were unhealthy, like even like 
down to when Cheryl is talking about her experience and Sharon is like attacking her, where instead of like standing up for herself, Cheryl then has to pivot into like this, but we're friends, but you know me, but I know you. That's what I was going to say. So like nobody wants, I mean, some people are just blatant and out racist, but right. Nobody wants to really say that they have these beliefs right or be held accountable for the fact that their behaviors contribute to some of the system systemic racism that does happen or um just daily racism that happens um, in microaggressions and things of that nature so nobody wants to admit that right and i think a thing that happens a lot is like well we're friends and you're a person of color and that also doesn't contribute to the fact that I agree with all of your behaviors. We can be friends and you also missing the mark on education wise and missing the mark of like really understanding my experience, just in the fact that I might miss the mark understanding your experience as a white person. Cause I'm not gonna lie, I'm not like downplaying a white person's experience. I would imagine as much as, um, like there are racial tensions going on. Like as a white person, you probably have to defend yourself a lot more than you were used to. Um, and like, yes, we're used to it every day. So we're like, <laughs> okay, whatever, right? So like they might be stepping into a different arena, especially in the last year of like trying to feel like, oh, I, I have to defend myself that I'm not a racist. Um, Cause I've had that conversation with people as well. Like. Um, from that sphere so um, I can definitely I don't want to say understand because I don't understand but I can see why Sharon was like but we're friends but we're friends meaning like oh it does it doesn't apply here because I'm, I'm friends with you and you're a person of color and I think that's a that's a really dangerous uh, mindset to have it is because it's like you can be friends with somebody and not be anti-racist. You can be friends with somebody and be racist. Like, and again, I don't, I don't, I don't, I struggle with empathy around that. Cause it's like, that goes back to that quote where it says that like, um, where it says that if you've been privileged your entire life then equality or equity feels like oppression. And it's like, so now you're being taken to task about your microaggressions and the things that you do that are problematic. And your first inclination is to be like, but I have black friends. It's like, yeah, no, but that's not enough. Like you're still shirking out of accountability in a way that is gross. And like, I feel like, like I am not in a, I am not going to empathize with you having to be reflective about your own contributions to racism and systemic oppression. I, I think in the way I approach it, I definitely am because if I don't have an understanding on why you have that mindset, um, then I'm not going to be, I feel like I'm not going to be effective in educating you. Well, that is an interesting point. I don't feel like it, is it, is it our job to educate them? Like, is it my job? It's not always my job and there's spaces that I'm not going to educate in, right? But if there's people who genuinely want education, right? So there are things that I have just explained to people um, who I understand genuinely want the education and don't have the, the, the mindset for it. 
Mm-hmm. Not all the time. Not, I'm not in the mood all the time to educate. Sometimes you need to do your own work. But there are some spaces and, and relationships that I am, you know, value enough to educate and say like, hey, this is why that's taken about that. And this is why this needs to, you know, reflect on the way that you're presenting that. Um, and in that place, the, the when you provide that education in my experience has opened the door to be like, okay, I'm sorry, didn't realize that, you know, let's work through how that can be better approached. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like it depends on like, we, this is definitely a topic that I know that we like have different views on, but I don't think I've ever like, we've ever sat down and had the conversation about like specific points so, like I can see I can see where you're coming from I just and I don't I don't think and I'm saying this because I don't necessarily think that we'll come to a point where it's like oh yeah no we agree like yes this is this is a common ground on this issue because like I can say that I believe that like like for example during grad school I had students who asked me about my hair and why it changed every week and why my hair would go from like being short me having braids like whether it grew that fast and I was like actually no it doesn't it's a or it's like it's braids or it's a wig and like showing them how wigs work and like doing a tutorial on braiding and like yeah I wouldn't educate (laughs) but like for me it's like whatever but then it's like me educating you on why you penalizing me for being too formal or you um saying things about like my hair or my approach or my perspective or my lack of this or that like why those are microaggressions that's one of those things where it's like you really need to do the work and figure it out like you yourself need to sit down and figure out why you believe that about me your inquisitiveness as to how Beyonce keeps her wig on during the Super Bowl and like you thinking that all that hair was was hers I can help you with that that feels to me innocent in a way that is like, all right, well, let me introduce you to like black hair. And like, then they go and like, to be fair, this is somebody who I knew would go and do the work and the research and who watched like documentaries and came back and was like, this is a really like, I have so much respect. Like there's such a rich history, whatever. But I'm not gonna explain why your microaggression is a microaggression and why you're problematic. That is your own issue. That, I think that's the piece, like for me, I would rather have that conversation about why your microaggression is a microaggression because you're going to try to say that your microaggression is not a microaggression. So let me educate you on why it is. Um, Because that for me feels like the more serious, you know, thing, like you're going to carry that outside of here with me like it. So let me check that right here with you and tell you how that is a microaggression. That we agree on the, let me check that part. I agree on, but then I'm going to tell you, you need to go figure out like, this is like every piece of it, but I'm definitely going to like, and this, again, this is like, matters the the value of the relationship once so I'm not just doing this with everybody but it's like the the value of the relationship and the nature of the education like I am a person that just naturally educates right so I'm gonna provide that information and that insight to you that is just my natural whatever I do so to me it feels like 
all right, hey, that is a microaggression. Let me teach you why it's a microaggression. And again, this is not everybody. This is not somebody, you know, at Starbucks who says something out the side of their mouth. That person I can give two cares about. But somebody that you actually have a relationship with and it sounds, you know, you know, not, I don't want to say slip of the tongue, but it sounds almost natural. Like, let me check you on that. Yeah. I think that, so for me, I would much rather have that conversation than the, like, let me educate you about my hair changes. My hair changed because I woke up in a different mood and I can do it and you can't, I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> that's where I'm at. Well, I'll call you for like my problem, like if I ever want to actually sit down and have that, con- or want, I have somebody who needs to sit down and have that conversation outside of me telling them that they need to check their privilege and you can call me when you have people curious about why our nails change. All the while. You said what? I don't think that's probably received best all the time. Oh, you always think that, okay, and let's, let's talk about this. You guys think I have the most aggressive conversations with people. And I don't. Like, I'm very, like, honest and to the point. But but I think, I like, I used to be extremely shy. And I don't think that I'm, like, overly, like, too much now. But I'm also not going to bite my tongue because if you feel like, like, and there have been situations and this is a learned behavior. This is a, you really think you can step to me this way. Let me tell you in an educated, calm and polite way, why you have me entirely messed up. Cause I am neither the one nor the two nor the three sweetheart. And I'm not going to educate you because you still go walk away ignorant. So go along with your ignorant self. And here's a couple of things that you can read and come back to me with a summary of. That is different, right? When I'm checking somebody on the level who already tested me. And again, to me, that's not the value. I, I'm not checking you on that because but I can just check you and not tell you educated. That's a different thing, right? But when I got to tell you, and even in that manner, I know you're not walking around telling somebody, like, check your privilege. Um, actually, I don't. But like 95% of the time, I do believe that you're not walking around telling somebody check their privilege right mm-hmm. but I think my approach in things is like um because I'm naturally an aggressive person like that is just natural for me I can say it and it won't even matter um so to me like a lot of times in the approach that I have with my conversation like if I'm really coming to you to step to you to educate you about what what you said and what is going on I'm be very conscious about the way I approach that mm-hmm. I want you to hear every single word and I don't want the tone or the way I communicate the education to you because I'm taking that time to actually educate you I don't want my tone or the way I present it to you be a block to actually hear what I'm saying the words of what I'm saying is actually the powerful piece mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the way I'm presenting it to be a block to you if that makes sense mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that makes sense we can agree on like not like we have to agree but I see now what I see now more so what you're saying yeah I feel you well yeah that yeah so um Sharon and Cheryl the talk show uh she issued an apology a tearful apology yeah the show was under review. You said what? Then I'm sure she did. She needs her job. Does she actually? Because she's an Osborne. I don't really know. You know, they just be bored. Probably, but you know, she needs to clean up her image now. 
Yeah, well, CBS conducted an internal review. Also, did you know so many things like were conducting an internal review? I've heard more shows and things have gone under internal review in the past two weeks than I ever knew was possible. Like Good Morning Britain went under internal review. The Talk went under internal review. Cheryl, I mean, Sharon. Yeah, it's like, I didn't know they were doing all this reviewing all the things on TV and these two things are the things you decided to review very conscious of their image right now like the the last year that we have experienced like people are very conscious of their image um and yeah and I think they were at a place of like for the most part people understand that they can't just do things and get away with it as much as they used to um without public huh I was just going to say, if it weren't for those meddling kids, I was just being childish. Continue. <laughs> I think, like, people are very conscious um, and of the way that things are presented right now. Mm-hmm. Speaking of image, um, Kirk Franklin cursed out his... <laughs> that's a really bad depiction of the story. Kirk Franklin's 33-year-old son released a video that was of a private conversation between him and his father this past week. And um, during, the, um, during the conversation, there were some expletives that were shared. Um, and the interesting thing is that once this video was shared, Kirk Franklin's son was saying, I don't even know the baby's name. But like, he came out, he was like, I can't even share the whole conversation because it's going to be embarrassing. But like, I'm being blocked to get pictures of myself when I was a child. And like, you'll never know all the trauma that I went through and all this stuff. So he like says this. And here, the thing, the first thing I want to pull away is we usher, because I we bring in both Kirk and his son. Oh, I still in church. That's what I was about to ask we, you. We still in church. We bring in Kirk and his son into Sense Community Church today because you know, I've, I, and, and the black Twitter and Instagram and TikTok community, cause they coming right on into the church too. Full service. Okay. Full service. The zoom room is full. You are, I see it in your face. You got some words about this. Let me hear. <laughs> but as I looked at social media this week, I was really actually disappointed because there were so many, the majority of people were like, well, I ain't mad at him. Well, I do that with my kid. He ain't your kid. It ain't our business. Well, my mom and my daddy did this. And it's one of those things where it's like, just because you survived abuse, does it make it any less abuse? Like verbal, physical, mental, emotional, like, it is still wrong. Like, and you can see like people be cursing out three-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds. They ain't asked to be here. You could have left them up in heaven with Jesus. Like, I'm just going to say that. <laughs> they did not ask you to be here, much less to hear you say things you have no business saying to anybody, much less a child. I'm bringing the Black community in because we need therapy as a community because this is why generational curses continue to be propagated is because you keep justifying, just, you keep conflating your survival with actual prosperity. I'm bringing Kirk Franklin in because it says, do not provoke your children to wrath. And sometimes you just need the Bible. The Bible says, because people were quoting that, um, 
children obey your parents, respect your parents, all that stuff. That's great. People always skip that verse that says, also parents do not provoke your children to wrath. And if you knew you were in a position where you're going to provoke your children to wrath, you should have hung up that phone and come back. And I know he did say he called the therapist. Hindsight is 2020. But again, he was still wrong in the situation. Don't call your therapist. So that, that's, that's the time you're supposed to execute the skills. I already yeah. taught you the skills. You need to execute them in that moment. And then you come back to the session and you said, I failed at executing my skills. And then we say, mm. This is why we see you every week and not every other week. But uh, <laughs> I think the reason that, um, like you were saying, it's a shared, it's a shared experience, right? So when people have that shared experience, they, um, it's like oh, that's not that my mama was worse or blah 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 blah. Um, and I think it's so interesting how quickly they did come to his defense because like you were saying that it wasn't appropriate but also not that his response was appropriate but we also don't know the all the details mm-hmm. of that relationship and what and what provoked him to have that response and you know everything that went along with that so like um I don't even say provoke him but what caused him to have that response so um we don't know maybe the son is really you know doing all these things or you know you know you never know um and it's it's hard when you have I would say it's hard when you have a platform and you can easily that platform could easily be taken from you um I do think it's interesting that the black church did not have the same response some things because let me tell you if it was a a, a, you'd call a woman doing that same thing in the church that would not be flying Mm -hmm. I I definitely agree with that Mm -hmm. Um, and I definitely agree that it was downplayed and minimized Um, Mm -hmm. but at the same time I also don't like the fact that the black church a lot of times puts you know people um whether it's an artist or a pastor or all these things, put them on the place of a pedestal to the fact that like they should do no wrong. Um, and that when, you know, for whatever reason, when they do wrong and that is aired out, then, you know, some wavering happens or something like that. So I do not like that that happens. So I guess in one sense that didn't happen, but it, it, it's very interesting the response that they had. People, how we respond we we got to get better communication skills and the fact that we all had a shared experience um actually no, i won't say we because that, that was never my experience but the fact that so many people had a shared experience like that uh, we got to do better we spent a lot of time in since community church and i feel like we should probably move on to our mental excellence we have some other topics but we can push those to next week Time. or did you have a tiktok for this week i don't know i haven't been scrolling the talk okay so yeah we can push it to to next week um but you what do you have for us in mental excellence this week well as we were just talking about kirk franklin's family dynamic that we know nothing about but now we all think we know um this week <laughs> i have definitely uh, been working a lot this week i've done a lot of groups this week um but one thing that i was working on in group this week is um working on the triangle of drama have you ever heard of that so um, this is a theory that was um, created by 
Cartman has is his last name and he actually has this whole book about all these different dynamics or whatever um but this is like the most common dynamic that usually happens uh, among families but it also happens among um different like relationship um dynamics and these are roles that people take on um in the relationship um and these are usually like um you know quote unquote drama filled relationships but um, the reason that these relationships continue is because of uh, the role that everybody plays. So the first one is the victim. So if you think about the triangle, the triangle is actually upside down. So the point is at the bottom and that's where you would find the victim, right? So the victim is somebody, uh, just as we would know, a victim. They feel hopeless. They feel like, you know, things are always happening to me. This is a situation that I'm only experiencing. Nobody understands what I'm experiencing. So that person is kind of at the bottom. Um, and then above that, you have like this one up of a person that is um, a rescuer to that victim. So they want, they see that victim um, in a place of need and despair, and they come, they want to come in and be a rescuer. So they want to come in and be like, hey, follow my AB3, AB3, ABC steps. Um, and one, two, three, you'll be happy, just like I say. So I want to rescue and solve your problems for you. Um, aligned with that rescuer um, is somebody who plays a part of being a persecutor. Um, so that persecutor is a person that um, does exactly what a persecutor does, usually puts that other person down. Like, why are you always in these situations? Why can't you get yourself together? All of that, da, 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 da. So these are kind of roles that people play in this dynamic. Um, and if you're not aware of the roles that you play, you don't know how to change the dynamic, right? So then this just can, kind of keeps happening, keeps happening over and over. And I want to say that it can happen even in like a two-person relationship too. So um, that person can play multiple roles and uh, we've all played different roles in our lives. Like we've all been a victim in our, our lives. We've all been a persecutor at times. We've all been a rescuer at times. Um, but a lot of the roles that we dominantly play usually play into our um, personal characteristics. So with that and trying to change that dynamic of the triangle, we think of people um, changing their identities in those roles. We don't want you to change who you are, but we want you to change how you utilize your skills. So when you think about um, a victim role, what we want them to do is to start coming a problem solver or a creator. Um, in that, they are now responsible for their own problems and they are um, you know, creating solutions to their problems and asking for support in that. Um, so in that way that that person feels responsible for their issues as well, and they feel like they are able to solve that. And that, that empowers that person too. So they're not in a place of feeling like they are a victim. They have everything that they need in order to create their problems. And a lot of times what we would have, somebody who um, usually falls into a victim role, um, 
do is like track things that are positive for them because then you're able to identify like, oh, these things that are happening for me and they are positive. And, you know, even when I feel the opposite, I have physical proof that positive things are happening for me in my life. So that's kind of how we would flip that role for the victim. And then we would flip the role for the rescuer um, to become like a teacher or a coach. So in that, the creator would bring the idea to the rescuer and the rescuer is like, okay, now let me help you execute them. Um, so it's natural for a rescuer to want to kind of solve that own problem. But now as a teacher or a coach, you're like kind of stepping in as like, okay, let me support you. I see that you have this idea. How can we get through this? Right. And then we would have the persecutor, who's the person that you normally puts the victim down. Now we're going to try to change them into a challenger. So they're not going to necessarily put the victim down. We want them to be firm in the communication that they have, but they also are going to challenge some of the ideas that a creator would have. So like, okay, you have this idea. I see, that's cool. I see the coach is helping you, but have you thought about ABC? And have you thought about um, when you do one through two, three, you've had these results. So let's think about this further. Um, so in that manner, everybody is aligned and has some support in the relationship of playing a positive role rather than taking on this uh, one-up of over the victim and being somebody that is kind of controlling um, or two-up, I'm sorry, controlling over the victim or dictating over the victim. I like that a lot. Like, that's a really... I'm just reflecting on the different dynamics and the different ways that I played each of those roles. And then also thinking about how you're also giving them their power back in a more effective and purposeful way. Like I really, I don't know, that's really cool. I really like this theory. I mean, I'm going to write this down and like look into it more because I feel like it, I'm just thinking like this could play its way out this way. It, this dynamic plays its plays out in um families and friendships like this is a mm -hmm. I'm, I'm almost struggling to find a situation in which this is not relevant even between like two people if you're not are there instances in which a person may play one or like two different roles there definitely is. Um, there could be somebody that is the victim, um, but then they also play the persecutor to the rescuer. Um, like there's different, there's definitely ways that it can play out um, between two people. So yeah. And you know, it's so funny when I was uh, teaching this the other day, somebody was like, well, I don't want to be any of these roles, right? Because they all sound really negative, but kind of reframing them in a piece like, um, I'm definitely like just a persecutor. I'm a natural persecutor because I'm just like, I don't understand that, right? Um, and so also understanding like the way that it is communicated and that kind of goes back to the piece that uh, we were talking about earlier. Like I, if I'm aware of the way that I'm communicating that and how that's receiving a person, like, yes, I want to challenge you to think outside of the box because I ultimately want you to have a better result. Um, and sometimes having that person to challenge that feels uncomfortable, which um, in my personal life, I'm okay with that. If it feels uncomfortable, if it's going to have a better result for you in the end, um, rather than just letting you be like, oh, let's try this out. And I'm like, well, let's think about this and let's support you through that. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
like this is a really powerful um, principle or framework to know and to use. Um, so yeah, thanks for sharing that. That's definitely some mental excellence. No problem. So we are following up on the conversation that we had last week, um, which was boss bags and talking about like our relationship with money. And actually I want to kind of start with that specific question. So like when you think about your relationship with money, like if you had to think about money, what is like the first word that comes to your mind? Mm. When I think of money, um, now I think of structure. Mm. Um, I have like in the last few years, um, try to become a lot more disciplined about like the structure of how I'm using my money because of the goals that I have. Um, and um, like in a very blessed place that I don't have financial stress. So I know that that sometimes definitely changes the way that you see money. Totally understand that. Mm -hmm. um, but in a place now that's like, okay, it's structured and being, um, as much as I hate the word disciplined, but it's like being faithful over the things that you do have. Mm -hmm. mm. I like that. Yeah. I have to say my word is pretty similar. Like mine is probably like possibility or opportunity because I think whereas at some point I saw, I think my relationship with money initially was very much like obsessive in a way where I thought that I needed to like, we've had this conversation where you said I act like I have $2. And like, you know, now I got, you know, I, I act less like that. Now I act like I got $5. Oh, okay. I was gonna say, you're not hitting no $20, but okay. Yes, now you have $5. Look, there's a little, no, no, but no. Um, but it's one of those things where now I see, like money is a tool. And so I think putting money in the right place and making sure that I treat it in a way where I can use it to get to achieve the goals that I want, to have the experiences that I want, and to also um, create the legacy that I want rather than to hoard it in fear. So I think I'm like transitioning into using it rather than obsessing over it if that makes sense and this is not like a new transition this is something where it's like that's the evolution of my relationship with money over time mm -hmm. and I do also understand that that is like you said a luxury like if you aren't making x amount and like you can't whatever that amount is for you because that amount is different like it's like if you aren't making enough to be comfortable whatever your definition of comfortable is then you may innately have a different relationship with money um so what is your money philosophy would you say i don't know if i have a money philosophy explain further so when i'm talking about like your money philosophy so very similarly like i just talked about how i see money so i see money as a tool so like if i had to here I just want to make sure that I'm using the right words. So please hold for, uh, if I can spell it. 
Okay. So like, what are your money management basics? So like, if you had to summarize your money management basics in one to three points, that could also be called your philosophy, what would you say? My money management points could also be my philosophy. Um, in this one instance, in this one case, this is where I would call balance into place because there is an even distribution of my money that I can save, money that I need to pay my bills and the money I can like splurge with. So I think that's one of my places where making sure that it is a healthy balance and saying what is, you know, yes, I can afford this, but do I need it? And where could that money go at a later date for the goals that I have? So that's one of the biggest philosophies that I have. And then also um, lately it's been like an overpaying of things um, that I've started to have a philosophy on because as I overpay, then there's really not as much stress in the bills because you are ahead of deadlines you can pay things when you are comfortable with things um, and all of those things so those have been two philosophies I dig it I dig it um my money philosophy so I think for the past two years and you know you know about this uh this journey is like my money philosophy for the past like two ish years was just to get to a point in which we were like 100% debt free. Like that was the goal. I never had student loans. And so, and Darren had like very little because we were both on scholarships in undergrad and I was in scholarships in grad school. Like that, we were blessed. That was it. And so we had very little debt, but what we had, we just wanted to get rid of so that we could have. A relationship with money that we wanted and I'm not even going to say I'm not even going to try to quantify like quantify it or qualify it like that was just a relationship with money that we wanted and so we very much were in a stage where it was like what is left over we overpay with like you were saying what um to get to a point in which everything is like cash flow and so I think at this point the my money philosophy would be like one always save like save first save first and pay yourself first so like that is something that I've gotten better with is like all of my saving is like at this point automated and then I pay myself and I also make sure that is automated and then you pay Jesus first well yes pay Jesus first that is in there yes just make sure you're paying the man upstairs Yes, we, we're paying Jesus. Thank you for saying that. Yes, that is actually a line in our budget is like giving Jesus his, his tithes and his offerings. But um, saving, that's something automated. I think even our tithes and offering are automated. Like a lot of the things automated, I have to remember on Friday to pay my tithes because sometimes it sounds bad, but it wouldn't have made it to Sunday. So I just got to pay it on Friday when it is midnight. Because sometimes you'd be like, oh, girl, I got the cart ready. Look, you feel me? And then Jesus be like, <laughs> you thought. And then I'm like, 
I'm sorry, sir. Could you take a payment plan and then no. go ahead and text to give real quick? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so like, of course, ties and offering, savings, and then pay yourself. And then also, like, my philosophy now is like to plant, to to do things with money with the intention, with an intention that will outlive me. So like, and that is something that like goes into like pulling in like a financial advisor, like other people who can do the things that I can't in the way that I want with the money that we have intended for those purposes. Mm-hmm. So. Um, my other money philosophy that everybody's aware of is the multiple streams of income. Mm-hmm. I just always I'm in high school I had three jobs so I have always had multiple streams of income other than college I didn't work in college but yeah in undergrad and grad school I worked yeah yeah so I think I think oh and one more sorry and also give yourself permission to splurge when the when when the compromise is between your mental health and splurging and so what I mean to say is like no seriously so what I mean to say is I used to be one of those people who if it's not specifically in this budget line for me to eat out I'm not eating out you mean you used to when did this change very much recently it's not specifically in this budget line to eat out I'm not eating out but then I would stress myself out trying to cook and then finish everything that I need to do. And literally within like the last year or so, Darren's just been like, if you don't order, if you don't order for the piece, our piece is more important than like the 30 little dollars you're going to spend on Postmates. If you don't come on, like, and so it's like, so I think it's just that balance, like quality of life is important. Prioritize it. Anyways, next question. How do you save? And this is not like specifically like where your money goes. I don't want to know that. I'm talking about invest types of investing or saving. I have an account in the Cayman Islands. Um, <laughs> how do I save? I actually just automate my savings. And then once I hit a certain amount in my general, then I put it in, um, in my like 12 month add-on savings. Mm-hmm. So like never have too much cash because like I need to secure it and put it away for something mm-hmm. uh, once I hit that certain number that I have um like I never like, leave my savings under a certain amount but then once I have that amount so okay I hit this amount um say it's a hundred dollars okay I have two hundred dollars all right I'll keep 100 in my savings and then move the other hundred over mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah so I love saving I have a very elaborate saving scheme. So I have like, so I save in a myriad of different buckets. So like I have like, we, so, and it's become streamlined mostly at the advice of like an advisor who's like, lady, you do not need to be doing all this to be effective. But for no reason. At one point I had rotating CDs that were sitting and that I would like, use and I still I don't think that there's anything wrong with CDs if you're trying to get into like if you have an issue saving money and like you need to be able to put money aside and not touch it 
like certificate, uh, I think it's like certificate of deposit, like something like that is what CD means. That now I will say there are pros and cons to that. I've moved away from that because the return on investment is very low. Um, CDs have a lower interest rate than like a money market account or a um, online savings account, but CDs can help teach you discipline. And I always enjoyed like having the flexibility of like two or three times a year, having a couple like hundred or a couple thousand dollars, like be available if I wanted to, or I could roll them over. So that, and that was something that I was able to do. Um, I will say if you have a um, credit union or if you are a part of a credit union, a lot of them will allow you to open up CDs for a very low amount. And so you can start them for like your kids, you can have your own if you're like struggling with discipline or working on building discipline. And it's really just like putting like $10, $20 a month in there and just letting it grow over the years. Don't pull it out at the first chance unless you have to. And then when it gets to a bigger number, you can either like pull it over into a higher like yield account because some of the money market accounts do have like a threshold amount of like $5,000 for entry or something like that, depending upon which one and the return. Um, but yeah, that's something that I did do. Um, I also, I like to organize my um, savings accounts. So like having like specific savings accounts for different things like goals or um, business or I don't know, like um, emergencies, like vacations, different things. And then like making sure that when I'm saving or I'm spending that the money is, that I can literally see how much I'm putting towards specific goals. Um, so that. And then also investments. So I like to have a mixture of, um, what you call those things? Not index funds. Are they index funds? They may be index funds. That, that I'll check. But like index funds and other types of uh, short and long-term investments that I just kind of play around with that do really well. Um, and that I like to just do as well as like another mechanism for saving. One of the ways to save that is automated, that is the best way to save and highly recommended is your 401k. If you have access to a 401k, get that puppy rolling and do it and, and, and make sure that you are depositing to the match because that, that I love it. Just love it. It's great. Um, I'm trying to think. I think those are the primary ways. I also like if you're like not, if you're like trying to fill your way into like investing, I still use Acorn, which I've used since I was like, since I first got my like first debit card, I think when I was like 12 or 13, maybe I was 15, but where it basically pulls loose change based upon the money that you spend into an into a money market account of sorts that is impacted by trends in the stock market. And I have used that since then. I still use it. It's mostly become like play money like shoe money at this point that I'll pull out every couple months like maybe once a year or something like that but like sometimes you'll look up and you'll have like a couple hundred dollars a couple thousand dollars like not a couple hundred dollars after a year but like a couple thousand dollars in there from just like letting it pull loose change a couple dollars here a couple dollars there over the span of a year so those are some of the things that I like to do especially all together you'd be surprised how much money you can save Are you done learning out? We didn't even go that deep. I was like, <laughs> that sucker. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> One that I do want to add though is passive income. So like I 
like, and I guess that kind of ties into some of our next questions. So I won't dig into that, but how do you decide what your money goals are? How do I decide what my money goals are? I think about the things that I want. So as corny as it is, have a three-year plan, have a five-year plan, and a 10-year plan. What are those things that I want to see? Um, what those things I want to see, of course, require money and researching what that those money needs to look like um, and um, like what is going to be required of those things. So one of my favorite things to do is look at houses. Um, and, and the looking at houses is also, you know, the practicality of what that would require. And those are my money goals and um, as of now. And so that, you know, when that time comes and I'm in the right space, um, I have the financial lien and it's not a, a, a stress to um, try to have that happen. So that's one thing. Um, so those are very much aligned with the goals that I have. And I even set a, um, set a daily, um, a, not a daily, a biweekly um, savings, you know, uh, report for myself when I get paid. So knowing how much I need to save every week and where I would be at the end of the year and how that aligns with the goals. Yes, reports. Can we nerd out for a second? So like, what is a, what is a recommended like budgeting app or budgeting tool that you would say that you use? Um, so when I'm like really, really strict on it, I use every dollar. Mm -hmm. uh, so that is um what's his name dave ramsey's app um so that is literally how to create like a dot down to spending every single dollar um of your budget and having a place in assignment for all of your money so that you have control and you know where all your money is going um, so that's a zero out budget. And then um, second one that I use, I don't use Acorn as much, but I use Digit. Um, so Digit does the same thing as um, it takes, you know, it rolls up your accounts, takes um, different goals that you can set. So like vacation. So I'm um, you're going on vacation by the state, you want to save this much money. So um, based on your um, frequency of purchases, it saves a certain amount of money for you. Um, the only thing with that, I would say for that, you do need to be like, I, you don't need to be, but um, be in a more financial place, um, a secure financial place is what I'm trying to say, because it does, um, it's not like it doesn't always round up. So it might be like, oh, we took $70 out of your checking account today, but we put it in all, all towards your savings. So sometimes it's unexpected. Um, so just be in a place where you're okay with unexpected money being moved to savings for you. Mm -hmm. Cool. I use every dollar too. It's actually the main, um, the main um, tool that I use. I've tried other ones. I use every dollar I use Acorn. And then outside of that, I love a good Excel spreadsheet. So I actually do weekly reports from all of our accounts. And we have like, I think I said this last week, like we have our meeting and we review what's going on, what needs to go on and then align that with like, make sure that what that is aligns with the budget and where we are in the month. And sometimes that happens because I'm one of those people I check my accounts like every day, like at least once a day. Like just to make sure that like everything is rolling the way that it should, updating things. So like sometimes that may be like a passing conversation, but it's definitely one of those things where that is a core belief in our relationship is like, 
hey, like we need to have a healthy relationship around money. So like, this is a teamwork. So like, if the power, like if something shifts, we just need to talk about it. If something goes great, we definitely need to talk about it. Like, so it's just that way. And it works pretty well, I would say. Um, what would you like your 10 year money goals to be? And it can be like really general or like broad or like whatever, but like in 10 years. 10 years, how old am I? Okay, in 10 years, I would like to have investment properties. Um, and I would also, um, with, along with my own business, own my own um, space that that business is running out of. Um, so those are the money goals. Um, along with, you know, having my own financial stability. So having my home being in a place where that I can um, support that without stress, living under my means. Mm-hmm. Love it. I will, how will, will be the 10 years from now? How old am I? Okay. So by then, <laughs> do the math. I was like, how old are we? Um, yeah, similarly, I want to have some investment properties because passive income is the move. I want to, by that time, um, believing that we'll be like blessed with kiddos. I want them to have their own like college funds already in place. Like they, if, like they'll get scholarships, that'll be great, but just have those in place. Um, they'll want to be like 100% debt-free. Like I at least want to have one or two, if not all the properties that we'll have by then like paid off. Like those are the kind of things. And I do, because I think that the whole rental property thing is something that I would like to just do. Like I would love for that to be something that I'm like more focused on and participatory in. And I'm trying to think what And I have like more specific goals around like how much I want to invest by then, how much I want to say by then. I really want to be in the place by then that I can like start moving into like the philanthropic space and like just start giving in a radical way that changes people's lives um and I want to be traveling like at least once a month at least once a month somewhere out of the country and not for work Hmm. and I want to be building my retirement home by then like the house that I will retire in Building a retirement home in the next 10 years. Like the house that I'll retire in? Yeah, why not? Are you going to be retiring in the next 10 years? No, but it'll probably end up being a vacation, like, in first. Like, so I have very clear visions for my future. <laughs> I just don't know in the next 10 years, I would want still want the house that I built for my retirement. I'll see. It could change. Who knows? Um, and then the last question is what, and we may, we touched on this, but just like seeing what of these principles, like how will you pass this, this information, these beliefs down to your children? Like how, when will you start? What will that conversation look like? Um, I'm going to tax their little bucks. Um, they're going to give them the money. Say more about that taxing. Oh, uh, oh, say more about it. Uh, here's your chores. The government comes. I'm the government. Uh, you owe me 20%. Then you owe Jesus another 10%. So now you've got to live off the 70%. Enjoy your $7, kids, till next week. I hope you save it. 
Um, so I think that is a piece that, as annoying as it sounds, it's something to learn to have a reality because I don't know how many people I've um, heard that they did not know of how much taxes were until they like were working a job. And that's crazy. Um, so I think those things um in that piece so that they know all the responsibilities that come along with having the money and making sure that they're saving learning that saving skills um and there are different like tools like um like i know uh um with dave ramsey i don't know why i keep forgetting his name as like um a kid's um like course um things of that nature so that they're able to, um, you know, learn those skills. And as much as possible, I want to be able to um, pay their education, you know, out of pocket. And if they don't have, you know, don't, um, you know, pursue a formal education, like allow that money to be there to start their um, lives. Um, so also giving them like a good start off so that they don't have to experience some of the things that I have. Uh, and that doesn't mean in a negative way, but just with better education. Yeah, I feel that. I would probably do, like, I want money to be something that they have a healthy relationship with from the start. So similarly, like, them understanding that, like, hey, you tax this, like, whatever, like you said. I love the one where it's like the mom puts away all of the money that she taxed her kids on and then gives it to them when they turn 18 as, like, to help them buy their first car or to help them do whatever like i love that story that's probably 100 percent what i'm gonna do i don't remember that story but i do remember that they had like quarterly house meetings with the tax money and that they made household purchases with the tax money yeah i'm dramatic so i'm probably gonna do the first one it's yeah, a long time to be holding on to money yeah, but like, what if you invested that? If you invested that, you know what the ROI is after 18 years? Yeah. Anyway, so, I don't know, but I'll probably do something like that. And I just want them to always, like, understand the value of a dollar, be comfortable with it, and then also be creating their own goals that they can work towards over time. Like, I, so, for example, Roblox went, stock went public this week. And the first thing that I thought about was my boss's um, daughter who loves Roblox. So when we were talking, I was like, hey, Roblox went public. Like, you know, I was thinking like, that'd be a really fun, like money conversation with your kid. And she was like, that is so thoughtful. Yes, we will talk about this. And like, she was talking about how, like the, like those kinds of opportunities are the perfect ones to talk about. This is something that you're interested in. Let's invest in it. Like, let's, let's do like, let you be a, um, and this is some, a term that's used in one of the investment podcasts I listen to where it's like, you are now an owner of this business because you are a part owner of this business because you own stock. You should be owners of businesses that you use and believe in and teaching my kids that from the start so that their relationship with money is one in which they know to manage and to use it as a tool rather than to become subservient and beholding to it. So, yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Uh that's all I got I could I was thinking we could share like our favorite like money management people I know you've mentioned Dave Ramsey do you have any other people like, I don't have really money management people I got my tax guy 
who I'm not even going to this year because I'm going to do my taxes on my own. Um, yeah. Mm. What did you say? That's more of you. Okay, well, I love podcasts, so I have a lot of, like, money management podcasts. I listen to the Black Wealth Renaissance. Brown Ambition is a really good one, too. Um, there's a lot of uh, investment podcasts, like Invest Ed, Millennial Money. Like, there are a lot of people who are working now to make money and the management of money, um, no matter what stage of life you're in, very accessible. Um, there's even, like, the Retirement Answer Man, so, like, if you're like confused about what your 401k or like investment plans are, like you can listen to him. I've kind of gotten away from Dave Ramsey just because he tends to conflate like his actual advice with politics, which were a little polarizing over the past couple of years. And also he can be a little intense, um, but he definitely has some good principles that if you can incorporate are helpful. Um, and yeah, I think those are the biggest ones that I listen to. I'm just scrolling through and I don't really see anybody else. But yeah, that's it. So that's all I got for this week's conversation. What boss bits do you have for us? In our boss bit, I'm going back to um, what we were talking about in mental excellence, just thinking about the role that you play in your relationships. Um, and you do have control over the way that your relationships outcome, um, the outcome of your relationships based on the way that you interact with people. That does not mean that you're going to change the way people, um, you know, respond to you, but you do have a responsibility in that. So just thinking about uh, the role that you play in your relationships, um, and it doesn't always have to be negative, but just see what you bring to the relationships. And our affirmations today is, I have control on the outcomes of the relationship. I have control of the outcomes of the relationship. That's it. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure talking about money and life and the stuff going on in the world with you. As always. Same place, same time next week. Bye.